um, for the observant among you, who will A, know it's the first Sunday of the month, and B, will have noticed that the communion stuff is at the front. Don't panic, we haven't forgotten. <laughs> okay? We've just changed things around a bit, and we're going to do communion at the end of the surf. change. I know, Charlotte, I'm so sorry. So, we have reached week six of the Bible course, as displayed on our shelf, or whatever thing is, installation, I think it probably is. And we have reached um, the New Testament. So we spend quite a long time. The Old Testament is quite a bit bigger than the New Testament. So we spend a long time going through the uh, the Old Testament. Um, and we've had various bits. Now, just coming up here, we're not obviously going to go through the whole thing again, because that it's took, you know, it's taken us five weeks to get to this point. Um, but you can see that it starts off here in Genesis, a story that we know very well, where God created that perfect world, where he intended that we would have that relationship with him. Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. Can you imagine that conversation? You know, I love a walk. We had a lovely walk on the beach on New Year's Day. I love a walk. But can you imagine walking? It was a little chilly, yes. Walking with God in this beautiful place that he'd created. That's how it was intended to be. But then we got it wrong. People got it wrong. And all of this stuff that goes up and down, up and down, up and down, round and round in circles, is when the people walk away from God, do it wrong, try and go their own way, worship their own gods, whatever those gods might be, and then God gently, or perhaps not so gently sometimes, brings them back, restores them, forgives them, and they set off again on the right path, and all the way through. And then the kingdom splits. This is just before Christmas, the kingdom split, and this northern kingdom just kind of basically gets kaput, um, and when we follow the line through the bottom here, and then they get exiled, and they're sent away from their country, and then eventually, by the time we get back to the end of the Old Testament, they are back where they were intended to be. They are back in that promised land. But that's not the end. Yeah? That's not the fulfillment of everything so a lot of things were fulfilled by that point. A lot of promises that God had made, by the time they get there, they could have seen that fulfillment. They're back where they were intended to be. But there is an awful lot that has not been fulfilled. And some of that is what we're going to look at today. Now, I'm not a great believer in um, New Year's resolutions, largely because by the 2nd of January I've given up. Um, but... This year, it feels a bit different. And I don't know whether it's because it's a decade. Maybe that's what the difference is. But I I still haven't made any New Year's resolutions. I'd just like to clarify. But it does feel different. It does feel like we're kind of at the cusp of something new and exciting. Um, And that's really good. I mean, for me, I don't know about you guys, but for me, the end of 2019 was pretty darn rubbish. Um, And I'm quite glad to see the back of 2019, if I'm honest. You know, and I made... A lot of mistakes. I did a lot of things wrong. I tried to do too much in my own strength. So I, this is an ideal opportunity for me to go, okay, I'm going to reset. I'm going to start again. 2020, 2020 is going to be a new start. And that's what was happening all the way through the Old Testament, where the people were mucking up and then God was bringing them back. So it doesn't matter how rubbish we think we were in 2019 or many years before that, maybe. Um, God will take us back. God will put us back on track. And so that's kind of where I was going to go with that. Okay, so we get to the end of the Old Testament. Okay, so if you look in your Bible, don't worry too much about it, but if you look in your Bibles, you see we've got a fair chunk way through. It's quite a big section of the Bible. Um, And then 
there is the New Testament. And that gap between the Old and the New Testament is thought to be about 400 years. Oops, sorry. We, We seem to have reached the Gospels too early. Okay, so that gap there is about 400 years. And there is nothing in the Bible about that 400 years. 400 years is a long time to be quiet. I can't manage it for four minutes, like 400 years. So does that mean that God had sort of gone on holiday somewhere and God had forgotten about his people? Yeah, he's got them back to the promised land and then he goes quiet for 400 years. Has he gone? Where is he? No, it just means he didn't tell anyone to write anything down in that 400 years. There's an awful lot, I'm sure, that is not in the Bible. It would be a much bigger book, and we'd spend a lot longer than eight weeks looking at it, I think, if God had written everything down. So it just means that there isn't anything to write down. doesn't mean that he was not active, he was not with his people, and he was not talking to them. So maybe when we ask that question, and I've asked that question before, it's like, oh, what happened in that 400 years? Maybe what I'm really asking is, why does it feel that God's gone away? Have there been times in my life, and I know there have been times in my life, and I kind of hope I'm not the only one, where sometimes God feels like he's a long way away. And that you're praying, but they're sort of bouncing off the ceiling and sort of landing back at your feet again. And it's almost like that period between the Old and the New Testament where you think, well, maybe, you know, I'm kind of shouting into a void here. And I just want to reassure you that God has not gone. Even if you feel in your lives that's where you are, God has not gone away. He is still there, and he does want to share life with us. Um, So when we share communion at the end, the reason I've put it at the end is because I just want that to be a time of response and reflection for us. As we go into this new year, as we go into this new decade, is that actually maybe this is a time to reset and say, oh, yeah, maybe it has felt like my prayers have been bouncing off the ceiling. Maybe it has felt that I'm kind of on my own in life at the moment. But God, I see that you are still there. So that's kind of where we're heading. So that's the end. Let's work out how we get there. Okay, so the first... Oh, where's my books? There they are. Those of you that have been here for the last few weeks and I've been preaching, I have had the weeks where I've had to put the most books in the right places. Is that true? It is true. This week, I have four. They're the easy ones. They're the ones I can always find in the Bible. They're the ones I can read really easily, and they're all in one place, and they all go in one place there. So I'm very, very happy today with my books. Okay, so I'm going to put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in there. Okay, that's the start of the New Testament. Um, And we're going to be looking at at each of those um, books in a bit of, not in a bit of huge detail, but a slight overview. Because these gospels, as we call them, and the word gospel comes from the word for good news. Okay, so it's really just telling the story of the good news. You know, the story that actually we've just celebrated over Christmas. Um, there's a reason why this week this is here, in that we, we spent last week, the week before I lose track over Christmas, how many weeks ago was it? I don't know. Whenever it was, celebrating the birth of Christ, and that's what we're looking at today. So the Gospels are are really easy to read um, and well worth, actually, reading them in one sitting, if you can. Um, Luke is a particularly good one to read, I think. It's a nice and easy one to um, 
Sorry, I'm not confused, just going funny. Uh, yeah, Luke is a really nice one to read. But they were written by different people, and they were written for different audiences. So although they are telling the same story, they are telling it from various different angles. So if we all watched, and this is when you do the videos in the sessions during the week, this is an illustration that they use. If we all watched the same event from slightly different places, we would all see different things. And based on what we are kind of tuned to read, uh, to see, you know, the, I don't know, our natural preferences perhaps, we would pick up on different things in that effectively the same event. So that's why the Gospels at times seem um, slightly different. Um, but they are all written with basically one purpose. And the verse we've got up there, John 20, verse 31, says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by, leave, that by believing you may have life in his name. It's a pretty good promise, that. Yeah? <laughs> I'll take that. That's amazing. So, Matthew, we will do them in order, because I can't not do them in order. (laughs) Okay, so Matthew um, was written primarily for a Jewish audience. So it starts off with the genealogy of Jesus. Um, So Matthew 1 says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So it was written for um, a Jewish audience, and therefore it includes many quotes from what we now call the Old Testament, because that is what they would have known as the Bible. Okay. And basically, it's pointing out that Jesus, this man that was born in Bethlehem, lived a fairly uneventful, once he got into childhood, early life, fairly normal early life, but then had this amazing ministry in his adult life, died and rose again, that that Jesus was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for, the one who had come to fulfill all those prophecies in the Old Testament. So that long genealogy at the beginning um, is basically highlighting how Jesus was descended from Abraham, which is what the Jews would have, would have understood. So that's what, kind of what Matthew was, the emphasis that Matthew was using. So Mark is the shortest, just in case you were wanting to count the words, um, and probably the earliest written of the Gospels, written by John Mark, who was a friend of Peter. So if you, if you read Mark, you'll feel that the bits that include Peter are really quite detailed, and that's because he picked up on those, those bits. And Mark is presenting Jesus to the Roman Empire. Okay, so he categorizes his audience, if you like, as either followers of Jesus or opponents of Jesus. And he basically narrates the story and the teachings of Jesus, and highlights specifically that we are called to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, that would have possibly come as a bit of a, what does that mean? That's a bit weird, you know, this relationship with Jesus, because all the way through the Old Testament, this separation with God had been a problem. You know, they had to use kind of sacrifices, and they had to kind of meet God through other people and all that sort of stuff. So to actually come and say, you can have a relationship with Jesus, it's like, okay, this is weird. Um, So that's what what Mark was on about. Luke I quite like. Um, Luke was uh, a scientist. He was a doctor. So he's very methodical. We have scientists among us. He researched 
eyewitness accounts. Okay, so a lot of detailed research. He was the only non-Jewish writer in the Old Testament and traces Jesus right back to Adam. Okay, so fairly detailed uh, bit of work he did there. And he wrote the gospel, the gospel of Luke, so that people would understand that it was a gospel for everybody. Not just Jews, but for non-Jews, Gentiles as well. And again, highlighting the fact that Jesus is the Messiah that God promised all the way through the Old Testament. This is what they've been waiting for all the way through these generations. And then John, who's disappeared. Where's John gone? I want John back. John, you get the idea. Um, John, if you read John 1, um, verse 1 to 2, so the very beginning bit of John, it's uh, basically echoing almost the beginning of Genesis. Okay, and I'll show you why. So John 1, verse 1 and 2 says, oh, for goodness sake, stop doing that. I'll read it to you, and then we'll go to that bit in a minute. John, 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 there he is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then Genesis 1, verse 1, says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. So he's kind of drawing that parallel between the Old and the New Testament and highlighting that through Jesus, God has come to bring this new creation, this new world um, where we can live in that relationship with God that maybe we'd lost before. Make sense? Happy days? So, yeah, if you want to read a gospel... Um, Mark is obviously the shortest, so, you know, if you want a quick read, then Mark is a good one. I always find Luke quite easy to read, um, and often if if you're giving away a gospel to people, it's Luke that we've got tucked away at the Unit 11, I think, because it generally is perceived as quite an easy one to read. And I highly recommend that actually you sit down and read it in one go. You know, it's no, it's no different to reading a, any other kind of book, so uh, very well worth a read. Right, let's move on for this troublesome slide. And let's look at the life of Jesus. Okay. So essentially, today, Jesus is going to be born, live, die, and rise again. Okay? And I've got about 20 minutes to do it. So, Jesus' birth. Uh, now, hopefully it will come as no surprise to you, because we've just done Christmas, so this is all fresh, fresh news. Okay, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Yes, good, excellent, we know that. He was born in Bethlehem, which is not where his parents lived. Okay? They had to travel to Bethlehem um, because of the census and all of that. We know that. Okay? About 70 miles they would have traveled, potentially on a donkey. Technically, no donkey is mentioned in the Bible. Um, so, you know, we, we can probably assume they had some kind of animal transport. There was no Uber of the day. So, Mary was amazing. Okay, so Mary was a young girl. She was engaged to Joseph, but she wasn't married, and she was a virgin. And then she gets met by this angel and says, by the way, you're going to give birth to God's son. Now, Mary is a greater woman than I, because at that point, I would have gone, yeah, right, see ya, um, and probably run away, because I'm a great believer that angels are not those fairy little fairy winged creatures yeah, angels are scary. Um, we were in Lakeland just before Christmas looking at cookie cutters. 
And Brian randomly picked up a, a knight with a shield and a sword and went, oh, look, it's an angel. <laughs> and I looked at him and went, I think you've got your eyes on funny, but, but actually, when we laughed about it and went, no, that's a, that's a knight with a sword, I went, actually, that probably is what an angel looks like. Um, so I would have been absolutely terrified, totally confused, but she went with it. She went, okay, God, if that's what God wants, that's what I'll do. So Jesus was fully God and fully human, and that's important because it meant that he understood everything that we go through. All the ups and downs of life he would have gone through. He had siblings. We'll talk about that in a minute. He would have had all those sibling issues. Looking around, people with children. More than one child, yeah, exactly. Okay, but a total shout-out to Joseph, his earthly father. Because he is... You know you have a list of people you want to meet when you get to heaven and ask them questions? He's top of my list. Because he is my absolute hero, Joseph. Because he gets told, by the way, this girl that you haven't even slept with yet, you're not married to, is pregnant. But don't worry, it's the son of God. And he went, okay, (laughs) and went with it. And he would have had to undergo gossip and uncertainty and ridicule. Total, total hero. Anyway. The census at the time meant that Mary and Joseph had to go from where they were living to Bethlehem to register. Um, Bethlehem at the time was a relatively kind of small place, but had been quite important um, many years previously. It was the hometown of King David. It was there where Samuel anointed David and declared that he would be the king of Israel. So, yeah, it had a significance. Um, But by the time Jesus was born, Bethlehem was kind of a small, insignificant Village. I would hate to draw comparisons with a village in our locality, so I won't. Um, but you imagine a small, insignificant village. It was one of those places. But Jesus needed to be born there. Because back in the Old Testament, um, in Micah, it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So it needed to happen that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It's just another indication to me of how God's got this all the way through. And if God's got it here, he's got it in my life too. So that's that's a good thing. I'll take take that. That's fine. So anyway, this set of circumstances meant that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was born in an outbuilding, effectively. Um, Probably had some animals in it. Probably stunk. Yeah, was... Yeah, not to call the midwife worthy, I wouldn't have thought. Um, well, so maybe it was some of the episodes I've seen, actually. But then he got a whole load of visitors. Now, I don't know how Mary felt about this. <laughs> I know when I had my children, <laughs> visitors came in you know, a number of categories, ones that you wanted to come and then go away again, and ones that you were happy to, to see. So I don't know how Mary felt about being ogled by these strange mix of people that had come to see her. Um, because they were a really odd mix of people. So the shepherds, who had had their own encounter with scary angels, um, arrived, and we like to imagine that they brought a sheep with them. I don't know whether they did, but I like to imagine that they did bring some kind of sheep as a gift. Um, but they were poor, they were Jews, and they were very undesirable. 
Um, they were not the kind of people you wanted to mix with. There was a reason why they worked out in the fields away from everybody else. You know, they were not the people you wanted to mix with. And then, kind of on the opposite scale, you get the kings, the magi, who we don't know whether there were three of them, there could be more of them, um, but they certainly came with three presents, so it'd be a bit odd if there weren't three, I guess. Yes, if you came without presents. <laughs> um, but they were rich, and they were rich Gentiles, so non-Jews. So right from that very beginning, the message was a message of hope for everybody. Rich, poor, Jews, non-Jews, desirable, undesirable, everybody. And that was the point that was made. But I still wonder what Mary possibly made um, of those rather strange visitors that she received. You know, I hope someone bought her something practical as well. Gold, frankincense and myrrh, all very lovely, but not very useful. And you've just had a baby. Hmm? Yes, it is. And they were obviously, really, we haven't got time to go into the reasons why they, they had them, but yes, it's a very strange gift. Yeah. Yeah, I love the gold. Yeah, that's fine. I'll keep the gold. Okay. So Jesus' childhood, he grew up fully man, fully God. It must have been quite a confusing mix. You think hormones are tricky when you're a teenager nowadays, but can you imagine Jesus and what he had to go through? But they were soon on the move. Again, Joseph the hero, his father, his earthly father, was warned that King Herod wanted to basically kill Jesus. Okay, so this is not great news to receive when you're a new father. By the way, this crazy king wants to kill your son. Um, we suggest, or God suggests, that you go to Egypt instead and run away and hide. Okay. Uh, so again, Joseph, almost without question, certainly not that we see in the Bible, goes, okay, fine, off we go. So he picks up his family. He doesn't go home, where he probably really wants to go, and goes to Egypt, where they were going to be safe. And eventually they do end up returning home. And Jesus would have probably lived a very normal life. They would have had other children, there would have been siblings, there would have been a family trade. So Joseph, we know, was a carpenter, so Jesus probably learnt that trade as well. But although he was man, he was also God. And when he did a disappearing act, when he was 12, he went missing during a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Okay, so his parents would have made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem each year. And on this one occasion, he went missing. And they didn't notice. (laughs) This is not ideal parenting. But there would have been lots of crowds. They would have kind of returned home, and there would have been lots of crowds of people. And, you know, Mary probably assumed he was with Joseph. Joseph, parents, have we ever done this? Yeah, Joseph would have assumed he was with Mary. Somebody else probably got him. And anyway, there's a few days before they realize they haven't got him. Unfortunate. I lost Charlotte in Matalan once. I found you again, it's fine. But I was terrified, and you can imagine the fear. I go, oh, poo, where's he gone? <laughs> so anyway, they eventually find him. Um, and I will read you this bit. So this is, uh, this is the recording of it in Luke. It says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over... While his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day, and they did not begin to, and then they began to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, which is probably not the first place you would have looked for a 12-year-old boy. Probably. 
They found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. So even though they know who he is, and they've both been visited by angels, they're still amazed when faced with the reality of what Jesus really was, of who he really was. Um, And his mother said, and I think this has been slightly adapted. (laughs) Okay? His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. (laughs) That's exactly what I would have said to Andrew after three days (laughs) of losing him around Jerusalem. (laughs) Anyway, didn't, um, and then he answered, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Probably was grounded for a while. Um, <laughs> but his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So Mary, although she knew he was special, she knew the circumstances of his birth, she didn't really understand why and what the whole picture was. Even though she would have been brought up as a Jew, knowing that they're waiting for this Messiah, expecting this Messiah, when it actually happened, they potentially still didn't really understand. But to their credit, they went along with it. And there are occasions, most of my life, where I don't entirely understand what God is doing. But we just have to trust and go with it. And that's what they did, and for the greater good. So anyway, eventually, John the Baptist appears on the scene, and he's preparing the way for Jesus. So he's coming out, and he's preaching, and he's preaching the message that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus asked to be baptized by John. Now, John knew who he was, and because he was out there you know, sharing what was happening. And then Jesus, this perfect being who has no sin, came along and asked to be baptized by John. It's like, no, 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 I'm, it should be the other way around. Surely this is, this is not going to happen. But it, it needed to happen because God needed to confirm publicly who Jesus was and thus set off and started his ministry. And it wasn't plain sailing. Jesus then went out into the, um, into the desert, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, was tempted by the devil, responded all the time with verses of scripture, and had a real battle on his hands. And he had ups and downs through his ministry. John was then put in prison, um, and Jesus picked up, was not swayed by the fact that John had been put in prison. He then carried on sharing the same message that John had been put in prison for. He knew what he was getting into, and he knew the message he had to share. Then we get to the final week, and the final week is where we remember through our communion. Okay. So this whole amazing life has happened, and then we get to this crazy, bonkers week. And we're going to just really quickly go through the timeline of what happened next week because we'll do it again at Easter. Um, but it's really important. I always think Christmas and Easter should come much closer together because it's so crucial that we remember the two together. So right in, in the very beginning, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Okay, And remember, we're going to celebrate this in a second. 
He comes into Jerusalem and people are, yes, this is amazing. They're waving palm branches. They're throwing their coats down. He's really properly welcomed in. He then goes away again in the evening, maybe spends some time with some friends. He knows what's coming. Imagine he's starting to feel a little bit apprehensive about it. Um, Then he comes back the next day and he has a bit of a, a shout in the temple. So he goes to the temple and discovers that people have basically turned it into something it wasn't meant to be. So there's money changers there, and there's all sorts of trading going on, and he has a bit of a a fight on his hands. So he cleanses the temple. Then the next day he comes back, and he starts teaching in the temple, and he uses a lot of parables and stories to try and get his point across. don't know what he did on Wednesday. um, Anyway, Thursday. This is the start of the, the day. So this is where they, he will have celebrated the Passover, as he would have done as a child all the way through his life. He celebrated the Passover with his friends. They go up to the upper room. He shares the bread and the wine with them. It's slightly different this time. This is not a normal celebration. He's saying something different, and he's really making the point that this is the start of what he needs to do. He's going to die. He's going to defeat sin so that actually we can now have a relationship with him. He's arrested. He has a rather unfair trial. He's then crucified. The most horrible death. If you've ever watched the... Which one is the passion? No. Yeah. Just absolutely horrific way to die. But then he rises again and we get that fantastic story on Easter Sunday where the women go to the temple, uh, the, sorry, the tomb, all that temples. they go to the tomb and find it's open and they meet Jesus in the garden. They still don't really understand what's going on, to be honest. Um, I don't blame them. I wouldn't have understood what was going on either. But this is the start of something really new. And the church, we'll see when we get to Acts, that's when the church really takes off. Clara prayed this morning about, you know, let's 2020 be the year when the church gets out there and really goes bonkers. Yeah, maybe we're at the cusp of that. So, what we're going to do is really highlight the fact that this is not just a nice story. You know, we're all the way through the Bible. You know, we're saying, oh, this works and this goes horribly wrong, and then God... Isn't that lovely? Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? This is relevant for us today. We have a choice to make. Do we accept that Jesus was born, lived died and rose again. And if we do, do we accept that he did that for us? Me, you, each one of us individually, not just for other Christian people over there, but actually for us. Because one day he will return. Even Jesus' birth, death and resurrection is not the fulfillment of everything. We still live in a sinful world. We still live in a world where things go wrong. So, it won't properly be finished until Jesus comes again. And we don't know when that will be. So that sounds really scary, because one day we will actually be asked to account for what we believe face-to-face with Jesus. (laughs) Okay. I think I might be a little bit frightened at that point. It was an accident. It was a deliberate rescue plan. So as we get to the start of this new year, I think this is a great opportunity just to reaffirm in our hearts that actually this is how I want to live my life. 
I have accepted Jesus into my life, and this is how I am going to live it. And if you've never done that, maybe this is an opportunity for you to do that. Or maybe you did it a while ago, years ago, and have drifted and want to come back and say, no, this is, I'm going to put my life back on track. Yes, Jesus, I accept that you did this for me. So, if you can just all close your eyes, just spend a couple of moments in quiet. Just have a think about Christmas and what that really means for us and our relationship with Jesus. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you, if you want to declare just between you and God, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or do anything weird, that you want to either take this step for the first time, or you want 2020 to be the year where you come back and you really cement your relationship with God. I just want you to stick your hand up, and then you can put it down again. And then we're all going to say a prayer together. Okay, so I will read the line and then you repeat it back for me. And we're going to say it together whether you've stuck your hand up or not, just so that it's a chance for us all to kind of start the new year as we mean to go on. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died from my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. I feel we should have an amen on the end. So what we're going to do is we're going to share communion together. Um, we're going to pass it along the rows. Okay, so nobody needs to move apart from the four people I've asked to move. And if you are happy to take communion, if you take communion in another church, if you're a visitor, you're more than welcome to share communion with us today. If you just feel more comfortable passing it along to the next person, that's fine too. Okay, so we're just going to pass around the bread and the grape juice. And we always share these uh, verses from the Bible because it just really kind of cements what we're doing here. And it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Remember, he knows he's going to be dying on the cross in just a few short hours. He knows what his body is going to have to go through. That's what we're remembering when we take this. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He is going to shed his blood on that cross, but he's also referring back to the, the sacrifices that the Old Testament people would have had to give in order to get close to God. And what he's saying is, you don't need to do that anymore because I'm going to shed my blood so that you can now have that relationship with me. 
So what we're going to do is we're just going to pass this along the rows. I've asked Andrew to sing a song that we don't know, which is why I've asked him to sing it to us. Um, But it really shares the story of what we are doing here. So, Paul, Tony, Jan, Claire. Lola, thank you for everything you did for us when you came and you died on the cross. And I thank you for the way we've been able to look at how that just fits in. It wasn't an accident. It was a deliberate plan. Lord, you wrote yourself into the story. You wrote yourselves into our lives. And I just thank you that at the start of this year, we've had a chance to just reset, reflect, and respond. And I pray that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you will give us the power, the confidence, and the excitement to go out and change this world for you. Amen.